You are listening to the Weird Learning Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel, featuring special guest Jenny Prescott. Today's episode, The Reflective Healthcare Practitioner, How Reflection Can Change Your Life. Hello, everyone. Today, we are really excited because we have a special guest on our podcast, Jenny Prescott, who I met um, at the University of Warwick Pole Dance Society many, many years ago. Was it about 10 years ago? Yeah. So yeah, and we've got Jenny here talking about reflective writing and the impact it's had on your life and your career in a nutshell. So Jenny, it's a real pleasure to have you with us. And shall we start first of all by um, asking you a little bit more about what you do? And so you've been a midwife for quite some time, but you've moved around in lots of different areas. And maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that background. Um, yeah, so I've been um, so I've been a midwife about 13 years um, plus my training period. When when you first finish your training period. Uh, you work uh, kind of a little bit of everywhere and during that time I realized I, I did really like birth and labor care so I spent quite a lot of my career on labor wards we have to as midwives you have to mentor new midwives that's a routine thing so again when I did that I realized I quite like teaching so I did a little bit in education and I had a few years out of the clinical areas in education instead and then I went back to the clinical areas, back to labour ward um, during the pandemic, which is probably poor timing on my half, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and at the moment, I'm kind of 50-50. So I, I do a role where I spend half my time running clinics for women and then half my time in the office kind of doing project work and um, yeah, governance, emails, that kind of thing. So I've got quite a nice... Uh, balance between the two at the moment mm. and are you still pole dancing yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our listeners can't see this but um Jenny... so you're going to paint a picture at this point Tracy <laughs> yeah no well not exactly <laughs> not what you think I think well so our listeners can't see this but Jenny is about a month away from her due date and she's expecting a baby boy which is very exciting. Congratulations. So, yeah. So Jenny saying that you're still pole dancing at the moment is a far more impressive um, accomplishment than you would expect of, you know, just someone pole dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in. So, okay. So thinking about um, what reflective writing was like for you as a student, um, it probably is quite a distant memory for you now you know, since you've been like kind of in professional roles for 13 years. But we're interested to hear your recollections of this process, because I think it will resonate a lot with many of our listeners. Um, yeah, no, I, I do remember uni. So we had um, a module that was, was it called like the reflective practitioner or it had a really long name to be fair, but the whole module was about learning to reflect. And I never really got it. I always got good marks in it. So that's always a bonus when you do an assignment and you think, oh, that'll bulk up my, uh, my grade. But I never completely got it. And I think partly there was two reasons. One, I think naturally it's something that I do. So it seemed very strange for someone to say, we're going to learn to do this thing that you're like, 
but that's obvious that doesn't everyone do that because to me it just seemed very much trying to figure yourself out and figure out how to do something a bit better next time so there's a little bit of that where I was just thinking like okay and then it was a little bit where because it was at uni and I feel like uni quite often is this a bit of a fake environment where you're asked to do things but they're not they're not how they would be in the real world Mm. So a key one is like you you have to do all your assignments on your own. You have to work on your own. And in the real world, nobody is working on their own because it's the worst way of working. You know, what's unusual about that is that um, quite often students at university don't like group work. Whereas you say, we say to them, you know, you have to get good at this because in the real world, you're going to have to work with people you don't like. Yeah. <laughs> and people you do like as well. <laughs> Again, it's like group work sounds different from just... Uh, asking a colleague or working in the team yeah group work is then oh well we've got to get marks and oh group work at uni is hard as well because (laughs) you've just got that person that's clinging on and you're like they're coasting why am I doing all this like and again I guess that's kind of real world because you're always going to get that colleague that's really just uh, taking the mick a little bit (laughs) um but yeah so I think I think I struggled a little bit with it um just from that because it was an assignment brief so someone else told you why you had to reflect which is totally not real world because actually reflection is very much you driven not someone else telling you reflect on that then there was a mark on it which is ridiculous as well because someone's telling you they're putting um, an objective mark on whether you can reflect which is a very strange thing to do because actually reflection is just really an exploration process. And then you have to really be open and like all the vulnerable and all of this stuff. But at the end, someone goes, all right, you can have 42% for that. And you're like, what? I bared my soul. <laughs> so that's another thing where it's just, you know, uni kind of, and it's nothing against uni, but it just makes it kind of a little bit different. So in your uh, profession now, do you feel that the reflection you do as part of your job um, feels real? Um, yeah, so for me it does, but other people it wouldn't necessarily, because in my job we still have to do reflections, so there's still a certain criteria. Um, but yeah, it does feel a little bit different. Um, the other thing I found at, at uni was you had to use reflective tools. Yes. Which are really, really useful when you don't do reflect when you learn reflection but then you get to a stage in reflection where you've either outgrown a tool or you need a new tool for new reflection or you just so at uni we had like the one tool and that was the tool we used and we had some lectures about different tools but really they just wanted to keep it simple so this is our tool this is what we use Mm. and then you kind of think that that's the only tool and then you meet someone else who uses a different tool and then I just did a piece of like academic reflective writing about a year, just over a year ago now, and used a completely new tool because it was meant to be master's level. It was like, you can't really use this tool. It's too basic. So mm-hmm. a completely new tool, which then really was interesting because it kind of changed how I'd, what I'd been doing previously. Yeah. Mm. And I think another element of it when you're being assessed as students are, is that, you know, if the marker is looking at that formula, that particular tool, you kind of pretty much have to use it to make sure that you're using the right terminology and making the, the right kind of points to get the marks. Yeah. 
So I'm kind of interested when you mentioned tools, um, what influences which tool you use at a given period in time? Is it, you know, if the marker tells you use this tool, that's the tool you use, or is it more personal? So at university, we had a tool that they recommended. Um, is this more is it like... Gibbs? I feel like it was Gibbs. It was, yeah. you know, yes, like it'll um, be Gibbs. Yeah. Um, I came across some it, that referred to in some nursing. Yeah. So healthcare stuff. loves Gibbs. <laughs> um, to be fair, like, it's one of the better ones. And it's, it's nice and simple. So if you're just learning it, it's quite simple. I found it 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 randomly I feel it overcomplicates me even more simple because some of the uh, if I think of the right ones, like there's like six stages, but for me, yeah. some of the stages were like the same stage. Mm. I was like, well, that's kind of basically what I just said. Um, but it was a good one. And then when I was working with students at a different uni, they used the, I can't remember the name, but they're like, what happened? And then the so what? Now that called? What? That was Rolf. Rolf. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, again, that's really nice and simple. So when you're starting them, you do want to do it simple. I don't often use a tool now because I think how I need to reflect changes each time. But when I did the academic piece, went back to uni, they were very much, you need to have a tool because it's an academic piece. Mm. And then they literally gave a whole list of things that you shouldn't really be using because they're too simple. So all the tools mm. that I'd used in the past, they were like, these are, these are not going to give you the level of insight that you'll need to get the marks for this because it was master's level. So okay. it's Rolf one of them. I can't remember which I used. I imagine Rolf would have been banned. Um, <laughs> but I, I had to have a little look around. So I had to like actually you know, find a book on reflective writing and look at some different ones. Mm. And I found one, and I'm so sorry because I can't remember the name of it now, but I found it. No problem, we will follow you up for this um, because this sounds useful. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it was just a bit more complex and it made me reflect at a, a deeper level like really trying to understand your actions not just what you did and why but really why was it called no <laughs> throwing them all out now um but then i do i got my marks back for that and i thought it was very strange because i hadn't been marked so long on reflective writing i've just been like reflecting for like over a decade just as i needed it mm. and you know exploring what happened or blah 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 so to then be graded again felt very strange. And again, my grade was fine. There was no problems with it. But the feedback, there was one bit where I said about um, trying to understand maybe why it was I'd offered to help a colleague. And it was like, why did I do this? Surface level was, I like to help people. Makes you feel nice. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go down on the deeper level. So, you know, thinking, actually, well, why did I want to help? You know, really working out. And I thought one of the reasons was, there was a little bit of drama around this. I don't know why, there was some drama. There'd been a mistake. She needed some help and there's a bit of a drama. I thought maybe I wanted to be involved in the drama. Maybe I wanted, mm. you know, or maybe I wanted it to be a bit about me or like, oh, you were there, Jenny, what happened? You know, was there some of that going on? Maybe, so I wrote it down. Um, in the feedback, <laughs> they said, this is quite worrying. And I was what, like- the feedback about your- emotion? About my reflection, I was oh, like- for goodness sake. <laughs> you're not meant you're not actually meant to judge my reflection in terms no. of well that's pretty worrying <laughs> so yeah I kind of I read that and I thought well I think you haven't done very well at marking that because you're not meant to say that I think I'm with you on that because you know you were saying about how reflection can be quite a vulnerable process because it's very internal it's very personal and for them to say oh it's very worrying and let's face it like 
there is an element of wanting to help people for self-interest sometimes you know we don't completely do it Maybe, for the sake yeah. of the mainly self-interest yeah it's because it makes you feel good yeah or like you know with the being involved in a drama it, it was like you want it to be in the know because that you know maybe gives you some kind of status in your yeah. department or something like that but okay, so I just wanted to revisit a couple of things because you were talking about Rolf. So I think actually the type of reflection you were doing was a little bit more kind of like psychology counselling. So really starting to think about what your subconscious motivations might be. So it might be that your marker didn't get that at all. Um, potentially, but it is strange because in um, firstly, the module I was doing was um, a module about a type of uh, professional support system that's been set up mm-hmm. where you have to support each other psychologically and really understand. So it's a bit strange because it was very much a module on psychological mm-hmm. support and understanding. So I hadn't gone completely left field. And then mainly in healthcare, and I don't know the types of reflective writing, but healthcare is very much on understanding yourself and how you have then led to a situation so that, you know, you know in terms of patient safety or effective teamwork or human factors or that kind of element Mm. so that was always how I was taught it yeah yeah no that's good Um, I would say that the subconscious reflection is um probably something that a lot of people don't do yeah no I would I I do but it's I would agree (laughs) so I think again like I said at the beginning I it was a skill that came naturally to me because I think I'd already done it really so I get confused when people don't have that element of um, self-awareness or self-understanding. And those people where you're thinking, I'm having to understand you to then explain you back to you, but in a way that doesn't seem too rude. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, like with some people, it's like, um, you know, like a toddler when you're trying to, oh, like... I just think maybe you're a bit upset by this and kind of <laughs> putting it out there. Um, no, no, I totally get what so you I, mean. So, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I think if it comes naturally to you, you don't really understand why, is, why do you have to have a process for this? It's just obvious. And if it doesn't come naturally to you, you're like, I don't understand what we're doing here. Mm. Mm, yeah. And yeah. it's one of those skills where you, obviously you can always get better at a certain skill, but it's one of those skills where I feel for some people they may never completely get it yeah. because of the level of self-awareness and vulnerability the need it's good to make a start on it and try though as a process of self-discovery oh yeah so Alex earlier on we were talking about Rolf and you were saying that Rolf is probably banned for certain levels of academic writing so I feel like we should maybe just elaborate on Rolf and what the cycle is for that one just so people are aware of what they should avoid within certain contexts well, I think it was, as Jenny said, you know, it works at a simple level. But if you're trying to expand your critique, your reflection, look at different surface level, deeper level reactions to things. So what is the cycle? I think it's who, what, why? Or is the, that the or is, it, or is Rolf the one that is it's, it's what the, happened? Now what? So what? Yeah, something so like that. OK. I can't remember exactly. We'll <laughs> link to a version of it in the show notes. Lots of what's in it. 
lots of words. Who, what, when, and how. <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't that, I know. Which then confuses it because you're like, I just know there's three what's. <laughs> but which what am I doing right now? Yeah, you don't kind of drill down to a bit more detail than that. And it ends up being a very superficial reflection, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. What next? People just go, oh, I won't do that again. <laughs> you won't do what again? Well, that again. Yeah. brilliant okay you sorted aren't you yeah you won't ever do that again yeah <laughs> um, so in our last podcast we did talk about this in mm-hmm. a bit more detail and yeah that was exactly I think what we concluded yeah. that we quite liked Gibbs's model because it really focuses on having an action plan that comes out of it you know so how are you gonna mm-hmm. uh, change how you do things what training you're gonna get what you're gonna read so something else that I thought was really interesting was how you mentioned at the beginning about a whole module that was geared towards reflective writing because the impression I had so I mean students have told us that they you know in certain disciplines they have to do a lot of reflective writing but I'd assume that because of what we've been told you know many of them come to university and they don't know how to do academic writing in the first place and so then having being asked to do reflective writing feels like they're being thrown a curveball because just as they think they've just about mastered academic writing all of a sudden the conventions of reflection are completely different you know because you can say i but then you have to do it a certain way and you can't be too superficial about it so it's almost like a merging of academic style and the personal and i think that's what really confuses people but I think you were at an advantage because you you kind of find reflection very natural anyway. I, th- I think looking back, I probably did. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have said that at the time. Okay. I wouldn't have said I was reflective or I wouldn't have said that I had that level of awareness. Mm-hmm. I think looking back, I can see that I did. And whether that was, you know, whether I have to give a, a shout out to my mother for raising me in that kind of way or whether it was a certain friend or a school or you know I don't know where I got it from I think it's probably my mum but it was something that I was always thinking well I want to just figure out what happened there or understand myself a little bit but I wouldn't have gone into that thinking oh this is these are skills I already do I wouldn't have thought that and even finishing uni I wouldn't have thought that and I think because we were made to do reflective writing it almost brought out a part of me that I didn't know was there completely. Mm. And then over the years, I've worked hard at that because doing it at university and then going into healthcare has made me realise how important it is to understand yourself. Because if you can understand yourself, you know what you're going to do. As simple as knowing whether, when I used to teach human factors, I used to try and get people to do a show of hands for who was a fight flight or freeze person Mm. and everyone would always look at me some people would know some people wouldn't know some people would have the conversation say well it does change depending on the situation or you know whether you're in a place where you feel more confident or less confident and this stuff but I know that I'm more of a freeze person Mm -hmm. and when you're a labor ward midwife in emergencies freezing probably isn't the best thing to do (laughs) (laughs) so because I know that I do that I then can overcome that yeah and so for me that's always actually if I understand myself more I can then do my job better mm-hmm. so I know if I walk into a situation it's going to feel like I've frozen but it's only a second and I just need to take a breath and do anything 
and challenge your natural you just need to do a thing because once you've done a thing the next thing just flows and before you know it you're moving and you're doing it and it's fine yeah I only knew that because I've had to think about that and figure myself out wow that is a serious reflection so for me it's it's not only was I taught it at uni but it then became so useful at work Mm. and I think because I've always loved labour ward which is a little bit more high risk with emergencies with that kind of element it for me it's felt even more needed Whereas yeah. I could have done it at uni and then gone into something where I didn't feel it was needed. You know, you, you could definitely do this at uni and think that was pointless and throw it away and never do it again. Mm, you could. Yeah. Though I have to say that I have had to reflect on uh, my own kind of personality and character quite a bit. And I've realised there are certain things that really trigger me and I just have a huge disproportionate reaction and it's really unhealthy. But once I've been able to kind of sit down, like you were saying, and reflect on, you know, a situation um, and what was really going on there and kind of bring in a bit of theory. But this is more kind of uh, psychoanalysis type, psychodynamic therapy type theory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then because I've known what the trigger is, I can then avoid it. Mm. And that has been really helpful to, you know, my everyday life. Are you in a sharing mood today, Alex? Sharing mood, sharing mood. Sharing your triggers. Although, before you share, um, I just want to pause for a moment and say that if you're finding this episode helpful today, don't forget to um, subscribe to our podcast so you get news of new episodes when we release them. And tell your friends about it so that, you know, everyone can benefit from the nuggets of information that we're sharing here. And do leave us a review as well. If you leave us an iTunes review and send us a screenshot, we'll enter you in a prize draw for a free one-to-one consultation with either myself or Alex. And that could be on anything you want, almost, as long as it's academic. University-related. It could be reflection, or it could be essay structure, exams, dissertations. Yes. We're, we're quite, you know, yes. flexible we will, in those We will pick a winner each month. And the other thing we'd like to tell people about is, of course, um, if you found some of this conversation interesting and you think, Okay, I would like to work on my reflective skills. Um, We actually have a masterclass coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a live session. So it's an online live session. On the 18th of May from 6 to 7, British summertime, just for anyone who's listening internationally. And the link for more information about it will be in the bio of this or the information for this podcast. Yeah. And if you follow us on social media, we may be releasing a special coupon code soon. So I think that's quite a lot of information now. So we come back to what we were talking about. So you wanted to know so Alex, my triggers. Are you in the mood to share your triggers? Well, as it happens, um, yeah. Well, that's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Tracy's presence as a trigger. <laughs> One of my big triggers now is if somebody tries to make me feel guilty or I feel like they're trying to make me feel guilty. And I go off on a complete, you know, deep end wobbler. And the reason that's come about is I've had somebody in my life for a long time who used to make me feel guilty as like a form of punishment. If we fell out, they would just, you know, go on and on and on. And it always ended. Well, it would only end if I was, you know, appropriately contrite and apologetic and in tears. And and it was just a hugely uh, painful experience. So that once I realised after many years that that was what was going on through reflection, actually, (laughs) I stopped letting that person do that to me. And it took a lot of effort and that was fine. 
But now, if I feel anybody is doing that, even on the like slightest thing, I tend to freak out, absolutely. But now I'm thinking, I actually need to go back and revisit this again, because I was in a position where I, I refused to feel guilty for anything. And actually, I'm now reflecting on this and thinking, maybe I should feel guilty if I do certain things. Maybe I'll turn into a, you know, a psychopath if I carry on not feeling guilty about things. Well, so we were messaging about this the other day, weren't we? And my take on it is maybe you don't need to feel guilty about things, but it's just more about understanding the other person's perspective. Mm, and, you know, once you know if something is important enough to them that it's worth you perhaps adapting your behavior or your habits, then it's kind of it solves the issue and then there's no need for guilt because I don't think that guilt is a very healthy emotion either because it doesn't make us feel good about ourselves yeah. you want empathy instead of what you're I basically think... saying instead of feeling guilty about it just feel like how did that affect them how do I how, fix it? and then and how, how can yeah. I how can I make that better or can I even make that better yeah sometimes you... it's a trigger it's one of their triggers and you know if, <laughs> if we're saying we're walking around with our triggers then when you want to have good relationships, personal and professional, you have to figure out their triggers. Yeah. Like I, I used to know which of my colleagues were hangry colleagues. <laughs> we <laughs> have definitely learned about hanger. <laughs> Everyone knows one. Because yes. then when they're like that, you know, actually, instead of having a disagreement with them, give them food. Actually, let's have food. And then you'll be their best friend you know? for life. And when I used to, one of my roles was... Um, being like the senior midwife on labor ward so you were coordinating people sending them for their breaks that kind of stuff and you'd see somebody and you think you need your break and they said no no I'm fine I'll go in a bit and you'd have to say you need your break <laughs> and send them <laughs> and then they'd come back and they'd be lovely because <laughs> they'd had their break and they'd eaten so you know part of reflection obviously the the initial parts is understanding yourself and and how you act within the world but when you can understand yourself more, you can then use all of those skills to look at somebody else and think, what are the reasons you might be acting how you're acting? Yeah. And normally you go, you go to your basics of like, and um, they feel defensive or they're scared or they're a bit hungry or they're tired or ill. Well, you know, you go all through these basic, basic ones. And mm -hmm. normally one of those will have fixed most of it. Yeah. Not completely, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, people feel like they've been undermined or they feel unimportant I think that can be a big one but at the same time um, many people are unaware that that is happening to them mm. so that's I would say that's a very interesting one and um, I've been talking to a lot of people about these kinds of triggers and the recurring theme that keeps coming back to me is it can depend on how you know like how we were raised our experiences from birth till the age of seven very much characterizes our sense of self and our sense of the world as adults because Jenny you were talking about your mum and how you know she encouraged you to be very reflective naturally to the point where you went to university and didn't even think it was a thing and then all of a sudden you have to follow these frameworks and these tools and you're just like oh what it's so contrived I don't but, I don't remember her teaching me but I just assume it would have been her it was just a, it was just your way of seeing the world because she didn't say now let's apply gifts to what happened yeah. today <laughs> when you were five. <laughs> Although Tracy, I am now about to head home and have a little chat with my daughter. She's nine. <laughs> She's nine. So 
you know, and it's like you kind of work these conversations into your relationship, but you don't necessarily apply a framework to it. It's academia that makes you, you need frameworks because you need a reference list and bibliography. But also because actually reflection is such a, as you might be able to tell from a conversation, it's such a waffly process. You could go off on tangents, you could think of this, you can do that. So you do need, like, I do understand why in academic work you need that structure and that framework. And then with the recent academic work I've done on reflection, then you had to say the bit about you, but also the evidence that came in, but also this and reference that. Mm. So you really need that framework. Otherwise, you're going to end up where you've had a really useful experience for you. Mm. But the person reading it is like, well, what sort of trip were you on here? <laughs> because it's just, it's so out there. So it's kind of, it's it's a weird one where I feel like when you're academically reflecting, there might be that bit where you have just got a bit of paper or you're just having a conversation with a friend and you're in that really messy bit. Yeah. And then you use the tool. You don't have to start with the tool and work your steps through it. You can just have that messy bit of that messy conversation, that messy brainstorm. Yeah. And then start using the tool to give that give all that a bit more structure yeah and then this tool might also bring some other stuff out that you hadn't completely considered because Mm. you got so focused on one aspect you'd missed another aspect so it's kind of like it's trying to bring the two together and I think in a way it's about making your reflection because it's going to be assessed it's about making it into something coherent for your marker so they don't then have to wade through your stream of consciousness and go what is going on here wait hang on so you said something about you know wanting to get involved in the drama because it was like it gave you a sense of power wait do I have to like report that or something oh no it's fine because now you're reflecting on it and you're realizing why you're doing it and you're kind of regulating yourself like your own behavior so it's like oh it's fine now I do I think I've always been told that I am particularly honest <laughs> um, <laughs> and sometimes people will say that in a way where you're not really sure whether they're complimenting you because <laughs> they'll say things like oh what, you're very open or you're quite honest you've, you've been called blunt um, but I would say so as, as someone who's known you a while sorry to interrupt I would say it's definitely in a good way but I think it can depend on people. So I like to have open, honest conversations and I don't really like, you know, like not knowing how someone's feeling because I think it's not very productive. But over the years, I've become aware that, you know, perhaps depending on how people are raised or whatever, um, some people, when you are having a discussion with them and you might disagree about things, not in an angry sort of way, they see that as confrontation, which... I find very interesting. That would be me. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I I do this, certainly. (laughs) And maybe maybe that's where the guilt comes from, when actually people are just wanting to kind of negotiate things a little bit and Mm. get to the bottom of something that's come between you. Yeah, so you were saying about that activity, what was it, fight, flight, freeze. So which do you think you are, Tracy? Me, I am a freeze initially, just thinking, but then... And if I have to, I would fight and then flight. It depends on the context, but I have a story about this. I have two stories about being in threatening situations. Pick one of them. I was driving over a little bridge. So it was a single lane bridge one, one day. And my 18-month-old was in the back seat, babbling to himself and reading his book. And I was on, on the way to some friends. Um, and on the bridge, so it was space just for one car. 
Um, another car came from the opposite direction, not stopping. It was traffic light control, but they didn't stop because they were being chased by the police. Ooh. And so I stopped on a bridge, did not crash into them. They stopped. We kind of locked eyes and I panicked and I didn't know what to do. And I just thought, okay, Ralph's in the back seat. What if, because I'm blocking their way, they get out that car and come and like start attacking me. So I kind of panicked. So that was the freeze. And I would say the next bit, I definitely didn't want to fight in this situation because there were two of them. So I reversed my car and let them get away and let the police do their thing. And I just kind of cleared myself from that situation. I think I should mention the other one just very quickly. Okay. Is this um, when you have a fight with someone? I don't have a fight, but I have a con. I stick <laughs> up for on, myself. Okay, so I was walking to work one day and there was a chap sitting on the fence. And as I walked past, he said, oh, do you know I can find a toilet? And I kind of waffled something because I didn't really know in the moment. And so I pointed him like towards the church and said, try those places. And then I went off on my merry way. And um, I could sense his presence behind me. So I knew he was following me and I kind of panicked a little bit, but I just kept, you know, you kind of keep going. You don't want to show that you're afraid. But then as I could sense that he got closer and closer, I knew I had to do something. So I turned around and just said, you're not going to find a toilet here. And I could see that was the right thing to do because immediately he became quite cowed and he looked away from me, like he broke eye contact. So I knew that was the right thing. And so I pointed him to the train station and said, try the train station. And I think because he'd been told and because he'd been challenged, he, he followed my instructions. And then I legged it in the opposite direction. So I would say that was a combination of, did I freeze? Yeah, I did freeze, but I was kind of walking and freezing at the same time. And then fought, but not with fists or, you know, but just challenged him and then legged it. So it does depend on the situation. And it I think for me, I do all three. <laughs> yeah, I think for most people it would. I'm not, I wouldn't be fighting anyone. But no. I know if I was at work, it would be more of a fight thing because I haven't run away. I've stayed there and I've sorted it out. The danger well, is right in front of my face. If I'm a baby's in it. distress, you, you're not going to freeze, are you? Or like you say, you, you kind of... Well, this is it. Like process. You might freeze for a second. Flight, you would never flight. Like, no, there's no I running not. out of the room. So like obviously fight's not quite the right thing, but it means action in a way. Yeah. 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 So I think it, 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 yeah, it definitely depends on it, but you need to understand yourself a little bit to know if you put me in this situation, I could probably predict what I'm going to do. Now you can, because you've done the reflection. Yeah. And that's what I'm like, you say it changed on the situation. Hopefully if you're understanding of yourself, you should be able to give a relatively good prediction. And obviously it might change on things like, um, have you have a drink and you're feeling a little bit more confident <laughs> or have you not slept at all and you're just feeling extra fragile and someone only says one thing and you run away crying and you know so there's lots of other things going on but it's, well, it's just knowing yourself and thinking actually I know I ran away there and it is because mm, x y and z mm. yeah so I have to say like so this understanding of the, the fight flight and freeze is really valuable because I still know a lot of adults who are not aware when they're hungry and tired and you know you still have to almost help them emotionally regulate the way you might for children so it's definitely a very valuable journey of self-awareness and the thing is you have to confront this fight flight and freeze usually in a crisis situation 
but at the same time, I kind of think you don't really want to be put on the spot in a crisis situation. So it's actually really valuable to have thought about it and kind of, you know, you gain that awareness of yourself and how you behave in lots of different scenarios so you can mm-hmm. make better, more kind of calculated. Yeah, you can kind of make better decisions mm-hmm. when a crisis situation does hit. Well, also you can you see things with a bit more of an openness when you don't understand yourself. Um, a bit like you were saying earlier, Alex, like someone tries to make you feel guilty and you just have a response. And because they're all so closely linked together, you can't see this, the different aspects of it at all. Mm. But after reflection, you can see the different aspects and saying, actually, it's this and I respond like that. So then you can, like you say, you can avoid a situation. Or, or... But when you kind of get to those levels, sometimes you can see the thing that's happening. And because you're so aware of what that thing is and how you respond, you don't even respond to it because you catch it early. Mm. You see the thing, it's coming towards you and you go, oh, I know that thing. It makes me feel like this. Mm. And you're like, not, t- not today. Else. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I like from working with different colleagues, I've always got a reputation for being very calm. Mm-hmm. Which I wouldn't say that I feel calm, but I know it is so important. I need to look calm because especially when I was like in the senior role, I was like, you can't have a senior flapping. So I've worked with seniors who flap and it really panics you. Yeah. yeah. And then if you're with a, a woman or like a patient and they can see that you're flapping. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Like for them, you speak to them afterwards. And I had a, a incident recently where I, I did, I was scared because I was just in a new place with new people with new stuff. And I thought, I know what I need to do, but I don't know what I need to do here. Mm. And her partner saw that. And it was only for a second because then we got on with it and we sorted it all. Afterwards, he said, I just looked at you and I saw your face and, it, and I got so worried. Oh. And I knew that I'd, and because I, because I'd felt it at the time, and I knew exactly what I was feeling. I knew exactly why I was feeling it. And I was like, right, deep breath, get on. You do know what you're doing. No panicking. Mm. But he saw that, that, that moment. Initial panic. And for him, that really scared him. But you um, not carrying on with that expression, that initial panic. Yeah. <laughs> carried on. Can yeah. you imagine? Oh. But, you know, it's kind of, it's one of those where because I, I've, I've reflected and then I've been back in that situation and then reflect again and back and, you know, you're on this continuous cycle. Mm-hmm. I know now that I can walk into certain things and make other people mm. feel reassured. Yeah. And if they feel reassured, they, they're much better at what they're doing and they can think straight. So tied up with, I did a really interesting course a few years ago on human factors. And then as part of my education role, I used to teach quite a lot of human factors. So what do you mean by human factors? So human factors is like a big old buzz in quite a few industries now, but one of them is healthcare. So it came from, it didn't come from, but it um, originally came from like aviation. Um, and it's all about, you know, you've had a bad outcome. You really need to understand what went wrong, not just blame a person, but actually really what went wrong. Because unless you can figure that out, you're not going to stop it yeah so then obviously healthcare is a, a weird one where aviation it's so funny <laughs> yeah aviation you'll have big things and they're in the the papers and you know like yeah. a, a plane goes down and a few mm. hundred people are injured or die or everywhere so when their stuff happens it's very very rare but it is very sensationalized yeah and then yeah. you come into healthcare where it's actually not that rare like we will have much yeah. more bad outcomes in the entire healthcare system in the UK in one day because of the numbers and the quantities and everything and happening. And people are there because things are already not working. Yeah, 
And then we had for quite a long time, there was quite a culture, a blame culture. And then obviously safety wasn't improving, just bollocking people apparently. <laughs> yeah. So because safety didn't improve, they were thinking, well, are we doing this wrong? And that's where the kind of it came through. But it's in loads of different industries. Yeah, you know, what's interesting. I did psychology as part of my degree. And one of my professors was Professor Jim Reason. Great name. And this was his area. So if you've ever come across the trajectory of errors um, being thought of like Swiss cheese. Yeah. And the whole, he came up with that. Oh, did he? Yeah, he Healthcare loved the Swiss cheese model for a while. I think it's gone out a little bit. What but is the Swiss cheese model? <laughs> it's when, so if you imagine maybe you've got 10 slices of Swiss cheese. Yeah. Um, and they've all got holes in, in different places. If those holes line up, Mm-hmm. It creates a route through, you know, and an error happens. Uh, so an, it's a cumulative effect that makes yeah. an error yeah. like devastating, basically. Well, it's not maybe even that. It's just like, was there a process error? Was there a human error? Was there a drug error? All of this stuff along the way, you think actually that one bit, it could have been caught by that process, yeah. but they didn't do the process. Or that mm. person could have caught it, but they were working their fifth shift in a row with no break. So you work down the layers and think at each stage, how does it get through this extra safety net? Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, it it just did. But sometimes you can really see the reasons why each safety net failed and then failed again and then failed again. Because, yeah, so generally speaking, you know, when something really bad happens, it's usually accumulation of errors, isn't it? So, I mean, if you're thinking about, say, for example, road accidents. I'm not even sure like, about errors. It's people, just coincidences that align in a certain way. Yeah, because, you know, people make little mistakes all the time, but yeah. most of the time, like isolated little mistakes, you can get away with it. So, for example, like one person drives, makes a silly decision on the road, you get away with it because other people are watching out. It's more when you have multiple factors like, you know, parked cars, so it's narrower, someone makes a silly mistake, someone else isn't looking, and then we have a collision. So it's kind of yeah. like that, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, and this is what I was saying about it's actually something that you see just in all industries. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not at all aviation came up with it. It's not at all healthcare. No. Like everywhere has got their own version of it. Yeah. But in healthcare, it really is being pushed to the forefront of how we manage and um, kind of poor outcomes or how we would manage systems or what we would do in terms of staff management mm. and it's trying to just be really smart if we really really want to do you know the best we can and really elevate patient safety and quality of what we're doing mm-hmm. we need to understand what's going on yeah um but i'd say that is within the last decade really taking momentum mm. whereas when i first started training it was still in that blame Blame culture there was still it was very hierarchical if that person said it that person you just do what that person says Mm. it's not about actually we're a team let's have those conversations Mm. so there's been a big big culture change um which obviously then I I got at university being asked to reflect of right and then you get into this system which is slowly changing changing its culture Mm. to try and be more reflective as a system as well like Mm. not just individually but as a team let's we do a team reflection which is obviously Mm. a team debrief yeah but it's basically a reflection and should we do um kind of like an incident review afterwards which is again a reflection of all our processes Mm. about what has happened here and how can we figure it out Mm. So you can see how, although we've named them different things and put them into categories, 
they're actually just all merging around all together really messy <laughs> just in our kind of using loads of different tools to understand what happened there yeah it is I, I like the kind of human factor thing because I like how it treats you know reflection as a kind of collective process rather than an individual one and a move away from that blame culture and I think this aligns with group working as well because I think the reason that students do hate it is because you know they're, they're expecting everyone in the group to do exactly the same tasks and pull an equal amount of weight and when they don't that leads to resentment but as you said you know some you're going to get days you know in a team people have off days people have certain strengths and you really want in order to kind of I suppose optimize performance you want people to be kind of working to their strengths but also people have off days sometimes you know someone might show up to work and they've not slept for whatever reason or they might just be having a bad day um, but all of that can be overcome if teams just kind of step in and fill in for each other you know, and one day you, when you're having a good day, you can kind of fill in for someone else. When you're having a bad day, other people come in and sort of fill in for you. And I think it's about kind of understanding that, you know, departments are sufficiently well enough resourced to be able to do that in the first place. Because like you were saying, and it's pretty endemic in midwifery, isn't it? To be working like 12, 13 hour shifts, sometimes longer. And people can't make good decisions when they're that overworked mm -hmm. and when they haven't been to the toilet, <laughs> haven't eaten. <laughs> There's two things I'd say following up from that. One is in the real world, um, managers exist. Yeah. Which they don't at university. Like when you have somebody oh, who... Oh, you'll be surprised now. Well, <laughs> I know they do, but I always kind of think, do you know what, when you're doing that group project and somebody is not pulling their uh, weight yeah, and you have students, to yeah. apparently work as a team and have those conversations and address it, you're like, do you know what, in the real world, you don't have to. You just go to the manager and say, they are really just not doing it. And they get mm. performance, well, they don't. But, you know, they get performance managed. It's not your issue. Whereas a mm. student, apparently, you have to be able to manage yourself, manage others, work well as a team, be effective as a team, be equal as it is. It's not quite the same in the real world, because in the real world, there's normally a cop-out. But I, um, suppose, I suppose if you're that kind of student who's a bit more driven, taking the lead does mean you get that kind of experience of leadership. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> The other thing I would say about that kind of that working as a team and carrying each other some days and carrying other people other days, mm. I do find that reflection really helps on that because when I've had those days where I've needed to be carried, I know that and I can walk in and I can say to the people I'm working with, I'm not going to be very good today. Mm. And I've had it before where either like I'm just, I've slept really badly or um, I remember one time at work, my little cat had gone into the vets and the vets are like phoned up saying, oh, basically, we think we have to put her down. And I was like, mm -hmm. um, and I was like on the long day coordinating yeah. and, all, you know, took the phone call. I went back and I was like, you're right. And I just kind of said to them, like, this is happening at home. So I'm my brain is like not really working today. So then everyone knew they were like, right, Jenny's. And yeah. again, yeah. if you can have that awareness, I always and this is what I was saying earlier about people saying I'm very open. I'm not open to, about them. I'm open about myself. Mm. Whereas other people either ha don't have that awareness or they're a bit too, they're not confident enough to be that vulnerable. But I am more than confident to say, this is how I work. And I'll do it in professional and in personal mm. to say, 
right now, this, this, and this is making me feel like this, this, and this. Mm. So you should probably do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, for me anyway, I think that's super helpful because I'm like, oh, I'm literally giving you a little guide on (laughs) like how to be with Jenny right now. (laughs) You know, like, and sometimes it is like with my partner, I'll be like, I'm not feeling my best. I'm really tired. Um, especially like now I'm quite heavily pregnant. I feel a bit hormonal today and I feel like I could cry quite easily. So just, you know, I think you just need to say really nice things to me all day. <laughs> and he'll be like, oh, okay. And then like, you know, a second later or say something that's like slightly kind of like. Um, not so nice. Yeah, like, oh, did you mean to do that? Or something like that. I'm like, what did I just say? I said you had to. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I told you exactly what to do and you still decided not to do it. Um, but again, that's one of the things that can be really useful about reflection. It's not just that understanding of yourself. Yeah. Is that if you understand yourself, you can give people little cheat sheets on you. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'm learning a lot of this point. Cheat this cheat. is great. Yeah. Alex cheat sheet. <laughs> I'm going to have to do this with people. <laughs> and this is it, like, because if you do have those triggers, you can say to somebody after you say that, I'm really sorry, that's just something that I know I'd have a bit of a bigger response to because of like stuff that's happened in the past. Mm, mm. And you've, you've told them they haven't had to try and figure out what happened with you or try and mm. understand you. You've told them about you. It is always frustrating when you meet the people that don't do it back, though, because <laughs> you're like, don't share back. yeah, no cheat, no cheat, cheat. Yeah, <laughs> I remember having it kind of recently at work where we, you know, we weren't quite um, gelling and we sat down and we tried to figure it out. And again, I felt re- I was really open about it. I was like, I think probably, you know, this is something that's new to me and I can see that maybe I'm being a little bit defensive because I just feel a bit like mm. I don't feel confident in this area. Mm. And I think that is coming out in these, these mm. ways, blah, blah, blah. And then I was waiting for them to say, like, you know, basically why they had not been good in this working relationship. Like, okay, you go. And then, they didn't. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> and then that's sometimes like when you are being open to oh. someone else's and you feel like, um, yeah, you're like, oh. And then if you've been open in terms of saying, like, oh, I'm happy to accept responsibility for these aspects mm. and you feel like they should probably accept some responsibilities too and then they yeah. don't you're like well it wasn't all my fault <laughs> so then and then you have to like go away and reflect and think like hmm so that didn't go very well because actually I was hot kind of hoping that they would like say such and such yeah. you know because obviously I left that conversation thinking it wasn't productive and I was thinking well why wasn't it productive like for me what would have productive meant and then I had to be honest to say productive would have meant them owning a responsibility yeah. for it. And I was like, well, that's 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 someone else's. I can't influence that. So I went into that conversation with the wrong like thing. Well, I don't think I don't think it was wrong. It's just that not everyone is ready to be vulnerable. And in a professional setting, you know, we come from like a background of you need to have your professional like face on you're not allowed to be vulnerable like nobody cares about what's happening with your cat you just have to (laughs) you know put your suit on and put your brave face on and that kind of thing so I don't think everyone is ready for it yet but Mm. I think the more people are willing to get vulnerable and share and you might not have it reciprocated now but I think it's it takes time and the one day they Mm. might come around to your way of thinking yeah, I've always kind of, I've always had an awareness if I'm in a certain role, then I need to, um, oh, what do you call it? it's like set a certain example. Because mm, you are a leader. Um, but at the same time, it can be hard because 
I'm not saying healthcare has moved away from blame because it hasn't. Because mm. when stuff really goes wrong, you all go straight back to your natural instincts of like it wasn't my fault. And it's, I mean, the consequences then, are pretty serious. Yeah. So I can't pretend if I'm sat on my own doing a personal reflection at home after an event, I can be pretty honest and really try and figure out what happened for me. Mm. But then if I have to write a statement on it, yeah, be careful. That statement would be very different yeah. from what I've just figured out. And if I had to then go to a certain review of it, that would be very different. Mm. So I'm not saying that I have the confidence just to be completely open when the stakes are that high. And there's a system that's looking. <laughs> yeah. Down. And if, yeah. Yeah, if there are going to be serious consequences. And this kind of sounds like I'm trying to cover no, something no, no, up. No, no, I which am really I'm, glad we're talking which about. Which I'm absolutely this. not covering things up. You didn't need but to you, bring this up, actually. But you just yeah. you have that fear of like. And for me, I can understand that I don't have that fear in in situations where I don't feel there's going to be a big consequence. Mm. Whereas for some people, they will have that fear because any situation will feel like a big consequence. Mm. They even can't be yeah, even admitted to a friend or yeah. a partner, yeah. it's a, like there's a part of their brain, and they may not may not consciously see it, but there's a part of their brain that just can't even go there. So any advice um, for students practicing reflection? Because I mean, there's um, that's a doctor who had. Okay. Can I start again? Yeah. So there was um, a doctor, I believe, in the news who um, they used some of her reflections on an incident that had happened in court, I think. Or she was struck off, wasn't she? She might. That be. was a few years ago. Yeah, and they used. Um, I think she kind of admitted liability for some things that had happened and that was used as evidence against her and led to her being struck off. What was the case? Um, I, I believe was it was the pediatricians. Well, there's uproar about this generally because yeah. it, it was one of those where it's like, we're no longer blaming and we want to know about human factors and understand the process. And then this thing happened, they're like, it's your fault, struck off. Well, and, yeah. you know, it's a massive backlash between a lot of health professionals because we're like, oh, so, sorry, we were trying to be open. Mm. We were trying to say, well, actually, really, what what made this happen? Because it's it's so rare that it's because even if there is a person, to be fair, it's really rare that you've just got somebody going around doing terrible stuff. But even if you have got a person who's incompetent or um, malicious there should be other things in place to stop them. You mm. can't just blame the comp incompetent person. You're like, well, I'm sorry, how did the incompetent person get to be with a patient? Yeah. Like, how did they qualify? Like, yeah, exactly. How did they get through their uni? How did they get to their annual reviews? How are they mm. on shift? How are they not being managed? How are they not processes? Like, it's just one of those that feels so basic. Like, oh, it was their fault. And the malicious ones as well, when people are going around doing malicious stuff in healthcare, again, you're like, Sorry, but how did they manage to do those things? There must have been warning signs. Because before, yeah, what are the other processes in place? So I do remember that case because there was a lot of backlash to it to mm -hmm. say, because there were so many other things going on with her on that day. Mm -hmm. And she did admit to, like, I think Missing maybe she'd um, got Mistaken the wrong identification. Yeah, yeah. But because they changed all the rooms around. Yeah. So she'd seen them earlier in the day and then they changed the rooms, I think, something like that. So again, it wasn't her I'd being get caught out with something yeah. like that quite easily. So when you read through everything that happened, I just always think of thinking, 
she was doing pretty well, you know. Yeah. It was like her first day back after maternity leave of not doing anything oh, for a year yeah. with no induction, without access to certain systems, without having colleagues that could help her, without being with too much workload, with patients that were actually being moved to different places. Mm. And she made one mistake of identification, which was rectified very quickly. Mm. And they did say at the time that did not influence the outcome. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah, and and obviously I don't really know I don't really know all the details I just know that it was very complex and then just to feel it come back saying you struck off it felt like they just really like reducted it back to the basic like who's to blame maybe they were looking for a scapegoat yeah and you're like come on I thought I thought you were telling us to not do this well and that's I think this there's a gender issue at play here as well because I think race as well potentially Maybe race, yeah, because I think women do tend to take responsibility oh, yes, yeah. for things more and blame themselves more for things. And I think we're a bit a bit more open. Uh, <clears throat> more emotional. And I don't think that's anything to do with uh, biology. It's definitely like a cultural thing that yeah. women would sit down and have these conversations and maybe men are just getting used to sitting down and having conversations. Yeah. So, yeah, I think women are much more likely to... Um, accept blame that isn't theirs to to accept because for years and years and years that's how they've been brought up (laughs) to be a bit more open about what maybe went wrong because they're trying to understand things yeah you know to have those vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. Alex was nodding very vigorously then yeah there was a lot of anger about that in the (laughs) the medical community yeah so would you what would you advise um, students to do when they're writing professional reflections because obviously we want them to reflect and improve their practice but not leave themselves open to you know getting in trouble for a genuine reflection yeah I mean you've always got to think about who your audience is Mm. so I know that if I'm sitting at home with a scrap of paper and doing a bit of a reflection which doesn't happen like often but if I have had something that I don't feel like I understood or it's buzzing around my brain or I just can't stop thinking about certain stuff I was like right I need to get this out of my head and I'll do a real simple reflection and the only purpose of that is to try and figure what my head is telling me and then when I figure that out I can do a better job no one's reading that it's going nowhere. I could throw it in the bin. <laughs> like, I don't need to worry about anything that's said there because it is just my process. But if you're doing a reflection for your governing body, or if you're doing a reflection as part of an instant review, and then I'm not saying to change how you're doing it, but have that awareness of who's reading it. Mm. And depending on how well they know you, depending on how well you write and explain yourself, and depending on how well you reference it, it's going to really change what they think. Because mm. if you say something that's very open, but you can reference some really good background to say this is how humans behave, they can't really pull you up or judge you on it because actually this is academic to say you've behaved exactly how humans behave because you're a human. Mm. But if you're just really honest without any reference, then you think, oh, God, you're, that's not great. And you have to, something that I've always struggled with, as you've probably seen from the conversation, is I am very open and reflective and most people are not. So I know that I'm always going to be at a level that I probably have to pull back a little bit because mm. other people are like, whoa, God, I didn't realise, you know, that was such an issue when it, it isn't really. Mm. Like saying earlier about this drama, I'm not actually that fussed about drama. I quite like a quiet life. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, I'm not into that, but it was like, let's really, really, really understand myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. you're not hanging around crime scenes to yeah. for a bit of excitement. I'm not just like <laughs> whispering so-and-so said this about you and so you know, creating that drama. But yeah, definitely think about your audience and definitely think about how well you've explained it. Because mm-hmm. if you haven't explained it well or referenced it well, it could just, it's a bit like we all know saying something in a conversation versus an email versus a text that kind of message given message received it may not be the same yeah Mm. and when you're talking about emotions and remembering an event that's happened as well yeah um yeah those are the things that people often misinterpret yeah you know when I say like oh I just froze Mm. I I wasn't sat there for five minutes like frozen (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like milliseconds but so it I just guess. it feels long. So yeah, if you just write down that you froze, mm. somebody can interpret that thinking like, you oh, just... well, you're not very competent, are you? They're they're bleeding out, and you're just sat there going, oh god, what should I do? What should I do? So I suppose yeah. it's about being a bit more nuanced about what kind of freezing. So you might say something like, okay, so the freeze part of my response is it took me a couple of seconds to process what was happening because a couple of seconds is not a disaster. And if it helps you clarify what your next step is, that's better than just reacting mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, just making the wrong decision because you've been too hasty, maybe. Yeah. I, mean, I guess like in anything, if you've got a trusted person that will read your work, it's going to be fine because I'll read it thinking that doesn't make sense. If they or, know you. What does that yeah. mean? because they will pull out little stuff saying oh so you just did that you're like no 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 I didn't I didn't do that um so again if you've got somebody that will read your work they can always say something obvious but it's just really hard because you don't want to if you're reflecting in a defensive way Mm. you're not going to reflect yeah yeah so it's really frustrating because to reflect you just have to be so vulnerable but maybe it's one of those where you do your first reflection for you you get to get all the benefits of learning from it and figuring yourself out and really understand the situation and your response to others, yourself, everything like that. And then you pull out a few of the details that you think would actually, you could reference, you know, mm-hmm. you think, oh, actually there's, there's a bit of evidence around that. I could actually make that into an academic bit. Mm-hmm. And the bits that you feel uh, relevant and you're happy to share. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like with anything else, with any other academic piece you're doing, your first draft is one thing and then what comes through to your farm draft yeah. is a different yeah. yeah so you can have a messy first draft that's really really open and then you can censor what you it. want to share <laughs> yeah well, i don't yeah. think it's uh, censoring i think it's kind of going back through like you say with the evidence but also being critical about how you have um talked about this whatever had happened in your response to it so it might be being critical in terms of does this explain it effectively or do I need to add more detail Mm. or am I actually being a bit too harsh on myself here Mm. you know um but going back over that initial reflection and I don't want to say tidying up it's it's, it's kind of giving it a bit of structure and like Jenny was saying thinking about who your audience is who's going to read it like how are they going to view it what do they care about you know how's it going to feed into you know whatever processes reflections are for do they need to know your deepest, darkest fears or triggers or I mean, those the kind of things you do on your scrap of paper? Yeah, like <laughs> it's good for you to know that, but maybe they don't really need to know that. They just need to know, like you know, a different, yeah, not a different version, but exactly as you said, uh, yeah. 
a more professional, slightly more professional, like how it relates to your work and how yeah. it relates to human factors, the department you work for and stuff like that. It obviously um, depends how deep you went, because if you're somebody who can't really reflect well and you're very superficial, your deep layer, probably all of that needs to go into your essay. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if you're really, really deep, then probably like none of that should go in your essay. Um, That'd so be you, Jenny. It does depend on what you are as a person. So, so I don't know if our listeners can hear the footsteps in the hallway because the kids are home now. So you might hear a bit of background noise. But as you were talking about, you know, people being prepared to share or not, it got me thinking whether or not people are willing to get vulnerable probably depends on how adults responded to that as when they were children. Because if you did wrong and you were always being told off for it, you're not going to admit, you know, even as an adult, you're not going to want to admit to doing something wrong, right? Because of those memories. So I just wanted to throw that in, you know, as mm. part of a reflection on, you know, why people may perhaps feel uncomfortable about reflective work compared to others yeah I mean I literally have that in my notes of like why was I good at reflection and I've got oh, like a list of those things which exactly as you said because I've always had that op- um option to to be wrong and not to be to make mistakes and not yeah get I mean I, I remember as a kid I used to um I used to really I mean I still do as an adult I really like winding up my little sister she's mm. really fun to wind up like you just do a tiny little thing and she like explodes and stuff so it's just like so fun so you do that and then mom or dad they come in what's happened here what's happened here and I would always straight away say that I'd done wrong I'd say I was winding up again like always I'd never say that they would just look and they're like you know not to do that and my to be fair my dad would say I know it's fun Jenny (laughs) (laughs) my little sister was like isn't that um, but you know little things like that obviously that just makes me sound spoiled but um I do know that my parents have always like I had that family um background where it was it was really loving like I could mm. wind my little sister up and then we'd be playing like a few minutes later mm. or like parents would tell you off and the only times they ever told me off I don't think I was ever naughty because I didn't want to but the only times like they ever told me off I was so upset because I'd upset them mm. not because I've been told off but because yeah. I'd upset them you let them down yeah yeah so it's kind of it was one of those where I always I knew that reflecting as an adult I've had a very confident upbringing where people have always said always said like a nice thing about me or they've believed in my ability so it's one of those and we were talking a little bit about early weren't we about like your different privileges mm. but whenever I've made a mistake no one's seen it as Jenny is a bad person yeah. they still see me as oh Jenny's lovely and she's nice and she's this and she's that and she made a mistake yeah. but my mistake doesn't define me yeah whereas if everyone always thinks a bad thing of you your mistake then defines you mm-hmm. they're like well I knew you were rubbish anyway and you did that mm. like so I, I get to be open about it because I get to distance myself from a thing and I get to then rationalize it and say oh well it wasn't Jenny that did that it was tired Jenny yeah or Jenny was just not having the best yeah and because I'm like I've been to university and you know like did my master's at Warwick I can rationalize and I can be open that I somebody couldn't use that against me yeah because I could then say I could defend myself quite well Mm. or I could talk about it quite well whereas Mm. somebody who's um less educated or eloquent or any of those things they would say a thing and people are like, oh, you admitted 
you're admitting just doing rubbish, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's not unequal. And it's really interesting having these conversations because I've never appreciated it before, how being good at reflection is not an equal playing field. It isn't. Because no. if you're walking around with a whole load of privileges, whether that is an, um, a loving upbringing or, you know, just society thinks well of you, like I'm quite a small uh woman white woman middle class all of this stuff but I'm not threatening yeah <laughs> whereas if you're threatening and then you're kind of like starting to oh look at them and then you're walking around saying I've made this mistake yeah so it is interesting to think actually just reflection mm. it's not as easy for some people and it's not because they're unwilling or they're unable mm. it's because they've been set up to be those things yeah that I think that was a very deep thought to finish on for today yes i think so um but just to say a quick reminder that we will be running a masterclass on reflection we can't promise to uh get you up to the level of jenny here but we will certainly begin it takes practice <laughs> it does we will give you some concrete tools which will certainly help and through uh practice probably a bit of further reading and you looking will into get to Jenny standard in the in 30 years she has. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but we, a start we can certainly guess, get you past the um, assessment <laughs> indeed thank you Jenny for sharing your stories about your reflective journey I think it's been really valuable I mean Alex and I definitely feel like we've learned a lot mm. so hopefully our listeners will as well and we'll need to catch up on your reflections as a new mother and how that's influencing. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm laughing as you yeah. know. Yeah. That, they're going to be, it's going to be some deep reflection yeah. in the next few months. Don't scare her. Oh, whether no, I, I, whether I'll have so. a brain capacity for it, I'll just, I'll just turn into somebody that goes, oh. Maybe we'll catch up again in a few years. <laughs> but yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. It's been a Cheers. pleasure. If you found this episode helpful, do tell your friends, do share, do subscribe. And if you're feeling it, please give us a wonderful review on iTunes, screenshot it, and we'll put you in a draw for one-to-one -one consultation. Thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Weird Learning Podcast. Production team, Patricia Marie Solis and Kia Morant.